Section forty one of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew. Volume one. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk. Part forty one. Of religious tract sellers. The sellers of religious tracts are now, I am informed, at the least about fifty, but they were at one time far more numerous when penny books were few and very small religious tracts were by far the cheapest things in print it is common moreover for a religious society or an individual to give a poor person children especially tracts for sale a great many tract sellers from twenty-five to thirty-five years ago were or pretended to be maimed old soldiers or sailors the traffic is now in the hands of what may be called an anomalous body of men more than one half of the tract sellers are foreigners such as malays hindus and negroes of them some cannot speak english and some who earn a spare subsistence by selling christian tracts are mohammedans or worshippers of brahma the man whose portrait supplies the daguerreotyped illustration of this number is unable to speak a word of english and the absence of an interpreter through some accident prevented his statement being taken at the time appointed i shall give it however with the necessary details on the subject under another head with some men and boys i am informed tract selling is but a pretext for begging of a benefit society of patterers in the course of my inquiries i received an account of an effort made by a body of these people to provide against sickness a step so clearly in the right direction and perhaps so little to be expected from the habits of the class that i feel bound to notice it it was called the street sellers society but as nearly all the bona fide members or those who sought benefits from its funds were patras in paper or ballad singers i can most appropriately notice their proceedings here the society sprung up accidental as it was expressed to me a few paper-workers were conversing of the desirableness of such an institution, and one of the bodies suggested a benefit club, which it was at once determined to establish. It was accordingly established between six and seven years ago, and was carried on for about four years. The members varied in number from forty to fifty, but of a proportion of forty, as many as eighteen might be tradesmen who were interested in the street trade, either in supplying the articles in demand for it or from keeping public-houses resorted to by the fraternity or any such motive or who were merely curious to mix in such society mr c blank was conductor mr j h blank a poet and the writer of black bess the demon of the sea and other things which took in the streets secretary and a well-known patterer was under conductor with which office was mixed up the rather onerous duties of a kind of master of the ceremonies on meeting nights none of the officers were paid the subscription was twopence a week and meetings of the members were held once a week each member not an officer paid a halfpenny for admission to the fund and could introduce a visitor who also paid a halfpenny no charge was made for the use of the club room in a public house which was entirely in the control of the members everyone using bad language or behaving improperly was fined a halfpenny and on a second offence was ejected and sometimes if the misbehaviour was gross on the first any one called upon to sing and refusing 
or being unable, was fined a halfpenny, and was liable to be called upon again and pay another fine. A visitor sometimes, instead of a halfpenny, offered sixpence when fined, but this was not accepted, only a halfpenny could be received. The members' wives could, and did, often, accompany their husbands to the meetings, but women of the town, whether introduced by members or not, were not permitted to remain. They found their way in a few times, said the man who was under conductor to me, but I managed to work them out without any bother, and without insulting them, God forbid. The assistance given was five shillings weekly to sick members who were not in arrear in their subscriptions. If the man had a family to support, a gathering was made for him, in addition to his weekly allowance, for the members were averse to distress the box, fund. There was no allowance for the burial of a member, but a gathering took place, and perhaps a raffle, to raise funds for a wake, sometimes, and an interment. And during the existence of the society, three members, I was told, were buried that way, comfortably. The subscriptions were paid up regularly enough. Indeed, said a member to me, if a man earned anything, his mates knew of it. We all know how the cat jumps that way, so he must either pay or be scratched. The members not unfrequently lent each other money to pay up their subscriptions. Fashionable young swells, I was told, often visited the house, and stayed till three or four in the morning, but were very seldom in the club-room, which was closed regularly at twelve. After that hour, the swells, who were bent upon seeing life, and they are a class whom the patterers on all such occasions not so very unreasonably consider fair game for bamboozling, could enjoy the society congenial to their tastes or gratifying to their curiosity. On one occasion two policemen were among the visitors, and were on friendly terms enough with the members, some of whom they had seen before. From the beginning there seems to have been a distrust of one another among the members, but a distrust not invincible, or the club would never have been formed. Instead of the box or fund, the money being deposited in a box, being allowed to accumulate, so that an investment might be realised available for any emergency, the fund was divided among the members quarterly, and then the subscription went on anew. The payments, however, fell off. The calling of the members was precarious, their absence in the country was frequent, and so the society ceased to exist, but the members were satisfied that everything was done honourably. The purpose to which the funds, on a quarterly division, were devoted, was one not confined to such men as the patterers, to a supper. "'None of your light suppers, sir,' said a member, "'not by no means, and we were too fly to send anybody to market but ourselves. We used to go to Leadenhall, and buy a cut off a sirloin, which was roasted prime and smelt like an angel, but not so often, for it's a dear giant. The bones is heavy.' One of the favouritest giants was a boiled leg of mutton with caper trimmings. That is a good supper. I believe you, my hero. Of the abodes, tricks, marriage, character, and characteristics of the different grades of patterers. Having now given an account of those who may be called the literary patterers proper, or at any rate of those who do not deem it vain so to account themselves, because they work paper, I proceed to adduce an account of the different grades of patterers generally, for patter has almost as many divisions as literature. There is patter pathetic, as from beggars, bouncing, 
to puff off anything of little or no value comic as by the clowns descriptive as in the cases where the vendor describes however ornately what he really sells religious as occasionally by the vendors of tracts real patter as it is understood by the profession to make a thing believed to be what it is not classical as in the case of the sale of stenographic cards and so on and sporting as in race cards the pattering tribe is by no means confined to the traffic in paper though it may be the principal calling as regards the acuteness of its professors among these street folk are the running and standing patterers or stationers as they are sometimes but rarely styled and in these are included the death and fire hunters of whom i have spoken chaunters second edition sellers reciters conundrum sellers board workers strawers sellers of sham indecent publications street auctioneers cheap jacks mountebanks quacks clowns the various classes of showmen jugglers conjurers ring sellers for wages sovereign sellers corn curers grease removers french polishers blacking sellers nostrum vendors fortune tellers oratorical beggars turnpike sailors the classes of lurkers stenographic card sellers and the vendors of race cards or lists the following accounts have been written for me by the same gentleman who has already described the religion morals and so on of patras he has for some years resided among the class and has pursued a street calling for his existence what i have already said of his opportunities of personal observation and of dispassionate judgment i need not iterate i wish says the writer in question in the disclosures i am now about to make concerning the patras generally to do more than merely put the public on their guard i take no cruel delight in dragging forth the follies of my fellow-men before i have done with my subject i hope to draw forth and exhibit some of the latent virtues of the class under notice many of whom i know to sigh in secret over that one imprudent step whatever its description which has furnished the censorious with a weapon they have been but too ready to wield the first thing for me to do is to give a glance at the habitations of these outcasts and to set forth their usual conduct opinions conversation and amusements as london including the ten-mile circle is the headquarters of lodging-house life and least known because most crowded i shall lift the veil which shrouds the vagrant hovel where the patterer usually resides as there are many individuals in lodging-houses who are not regular patterers or professional vagrants being rather as they term themselves travellers or tramps so there are multitudes who do not inhabit such houses who really belong to the fraternity pattering or vagrant of these some take up their abode in what they call flatty kens that is houses the landlord of which is not awake or fly to the moves and dodges of the trade others resort to the regular padding kens or houses of call for vagabonds while others and especially those who have families live constantly in furnished rooms and have little intercourse with the regular travellers tramps or wanderers the medium houses the london vagrant haunts for i have no wish to go to extremes either way are probably in westminster and perhaps the fairest model of the monkry is the house in orchard street once the residence of royalty 
which has been kept and conducted for half a century by the veteran who some fifty years ago was the only man who amused the population with that well-known ditty if i'd as much money as i could tell i would not cry young lambs to sell mister for that is the old man's title still manufactures lambs but seldom goes out himself his sons obedient and exemplary young men take the toys into the country and dispose of them at fairs and markets the wife of this man is a woman of some beauty and good sound sense but far too credulous for the position of which she is the mistress so much for the establishment i have now to deal with the inmates no one could be long an inmate of mr blank's without discerning in the motley group persons who had seen better days and seated on the same bench persons who are seeing the best days they ever saw when i took up my abode in the house under consideration i was struck by the appearance of a middle-aged lady-like woman a native of worcester bred to the glove trade and brought up in the lap of plenty and under the high sanction of religious principle she had evidently some source of mental anguish i believe it was the conduct of her husband by whom she had been deserted and who was living with a woman to whom it is said the wife had shown much kindness by her sat a giant in size and candour demands that i should say a giant in sin when navy jem as he is called used to work for his living it was a long while ago he drove a barrow at the formation of the great western railway at present the man lies in bed till midday and when he makes his appearance in the kitchen the very kittens on the hearth they dare not even play his breakfast embraces all the good things of the season he divides his delicacies with a silver fork where did he get it the mode in which this man obtains a livelihood is at once a mixture and a mystery his prevailing plan is to waylay gentlemen in the decline of life and to extort money by threats of accusation and exposure to which i can do no more than allude his wife a notorious shoplifter is now for the third time expiating her offences in coldbath fields next to navy jem may be perceived a little stunted woman of pretended scotch but really irish extraction whose husband has died in the hospital for consumption at least as many times as the hero of waterloo has seen engagements at last the man did die and his widow has been collecting money to bury him for eight years past but has not yet secured the required sum this woman whose name i never knew has a boy and a girl to the former she is very kind the latter she beats without mercy always before breakfast and with such almost unvaried punctuality that her brother will sometimes whisper after saying grace mother has our poll had her licks yet among the records of mortality lately before the public is the account of a notorious woman who was found suffocated in a stagnant pool whether from suicide or accident it was impossible to determine she had been in every hospital in town and country suffering from a disease entirely self-procured she applied strong acids to wounds previously punctured with a pin and so caused her body to present one mass of sores she was deemed incurable by the hospital doctors and liberal collections were made for her among the benevolent in various places the trick however was ultimately discovered and the failure of her plan added to the bad state of health to which her bodily injuries had gradually led preyed upon her mind and hastened her death this woman had been the paramour of peter the crossing sweeper a man who for years went about showing similar wounds 
which he pretended had been inflicted while fighting in the spanish legion though truth to say he had never been nearer spain than liverpool is to new york he had followed the monkry from a child and chiefly since from manhood as a broken-down weaver from leicester and after singing through every one of the provinces we've got no work to do he scraped acquaintance with a school of shallow coves that is men who go about half naked telling frightful tales about shipwrecks hairbreadth escapes from houses on fire and such like aqueous and igneous calamities by these peter was initiated into the scaldrum dodge or the art of burning the body with a mixture of acids and gunpowder so as to suit the hues and complexion of the accident to be deplored such persons hold every morning a committee of ways and means according to whose decision the movements of the day are carried out sometimes when on their country rounds they go singly up to the houses of the gentry and wealthy farmers begging shirts which they hide in hedges while they go on to another house and beg a similar article sometimes they go in crowds to the number of from twelve to twenty they are most successful when the swell is not at home if they can meet with the baroque note mistress end note or the young ladies they put it on them for dunnage note beg a stock of general clothing end note flattering their victims first and frightening them afterwards a friend of mine was present in a lodging-house in plymouth when a school of the shallow coves returned from their day's work with six suits of clothes and twenty-seven shirts besides children's apparel and shoes all of which were sold to a broker in the same street and besides these the donations in money received amounted to four shillings and fourpence a man at this enterprise peter continued several years but to use his own words everything has but a time the country got dead to him and people got fly to the shallow brigade so peter came up to london to try his hand at something else housed in the domicile of sayer the barber who has enriched himself by beer shops and lodging housekeeping to the tune it is said of twenty thousand pounds peter amused the travellers of wentworth street whitechapel with recitals of what he had seen and done here a profligate but rather intelligent man who had really been in the service of the queen of spain gave him an old red jacket and with it such instructions as equipped him for the imposition one sleeve of this jacket usually hung loosely by his side while the arm it should have covered was exposed naked and to all appearances withered his rule was to keep silence till a crowd assembled round him when he began to patter to them to the following effect ladies and gentlemen it is with feelings of no common reluctance that i stand before you at this time but although i am not without feelings i am totally without friends and frequently without food this wound showing his disfigured arm i received in the service of the queen of spain and i have many more on different parts of my person i received a little praise for my brave conduct but not a penny of pension and here i am there's no deception you see ill in health poor in pocket and exposed without proper nourishment to wind and weather the cold is blowing through me till i am almost perished his doxy stood by and received the voluntary contributions of the audience in a soldier's cap which our hero emptied into his pocket and after snivelling out his thanks departed to renew the exhibition in the nearest available thoroughfare peter boasted that he could make on an average fifteen of these pitches a day and as the proceeds were estimated at something considerable in each pitch he has been known to take as much as half a crown in pence at one standing he was able to sport his figure at astley's in the evening 
to eat spring lamb and when reeling home under the influence of whisky to entertain the peaceful inhabitants with the music of we won't go home till morning whether the game got stale or peter became honest is beyond the purport of my communication to sell if any reader however should make his purchases at the puffing fishmongers in lombard street they may find peter now pursuing the more honest occupation of sweeping the crossing by the church of st gabriel fenchurch street among the most famous of the lurking patterers was captain moody the son of poor but honest parents in the county of cornwall who died during his boyhood leaving him to the custody of a maiden aunt this lady soon and not without reason got tired of her incorrigible charge young moody was apprenticed successively to three trades and wanted not ability to become expert in any of them but having occasional interviews with some of the gypsy tribe and hearing from themselves of their wonderful achievements he left the sober walks of life and joined this vagrant fraternity his new position however was attractive only while it was novel moody who had received a fair education soon became disgusted with the coarseness and vulgarity of his associates at the solicitation of a neighbouring clergyman he was restored to the friendship of his aunt who had soon sad reason to regret that her compassion had got the better of her prudence for one sunday afternoon while she was absent at church young moody who had pleaded indisposition and so obtained permission to stay at home decamped after dispatching the servant to the town a mile distant to fetch the doctor in the meantime emptying his aunt's safety cupboard of a couple of gold watches and seventy-two pounds in cash and country notes his roving disposition then induced him to try the sea and the knowledge he obtained during several voyages fitted him for those maritime frauds which got him the name of captain moody the lurker the frauds of this person are well known and often recounted with great admiration among the battering fraternity on one occasion the principal butcher in gosport was summoned to meet a gentleman at a hotel the louisa a brig had just arrived at portsmouth the captain's name was young and this gentleman moody personated for the time being i have occasion said he to the butcher for an additional supply of beef for the louisa i have heard you spoken of by captain harrison whom moody knew to be an old friend of the butcher's and i have thus given you the preference i want a bullock cut up in twelve pound pieces it must be on board by three to-morrow the price was agreed upon and the captain threw down a few sovereigns in payment but of course discovered that he had not gold enough to cover the whole amount so he proposed to give him a cheque he had just received from captain harrison for a hundred pounds and the butcher could give him the difference the tradesman was nothing loath for a cheque upon valance mills and west with captain harrison's signature was reckoned equal to money any day and so the butcher considered the one he had received until the next morning when the draft and the order proved to be forgeries the culprit was of course nowhere to be found nor indeed heard of till two years after when he had removed the scene of his depredations to liverpool in that port he had a colleague a man whose manners and appearance were equally prepossessing moody sent his pal into a jeweller's shop near the corner of lord street who there purchased a small gold seal paid for it and took his leave immediately afterwards moody entered the shop under evident excitement declaring that he had seen the person who had just left the shop secrete two if not three seals up his coat-sleeve adding that the fellow had just gone through the exchange and that if the jeweller were quick he would be sure to catch him the jeweller ran out without his hat leaving his kind friend in charge of the shop 
and soon returned with the supposed criminal in his custody the captain however in the meantime had decamped taking with him a tray from the window containing precious materials to the value of three hundred pounds at another time the captain prepared a document setting forth losses in the baltic trade and a dismal variety of disasters and concluding with a melancholy shipwreck which had really taken place just about that time in the german ocean with this he travelled over great part of scotland and with almost unprecedented success journeying near the firth of forth he paid a visit to lord dalmeny a nobleman of great benevolence who had read the account of the shipwreck in the local journals and wondered that the petition was not signed by influential persons on the spot and somewhat suspicious of the reality of the captain's identity placed a terrestrial globe before him and begged to be shown in what latitude he was cast away the awkwardness with which moody handled the globe showed that he was out of his latitude altogether his lordship therefore committed the document to the flames but generously gave the captain a sovereign and some good advice the former he appropriated at the nearest public house of the latter he never made the least use old and worn out by excesses and imprisonment he subsists now by sitting pad about the suburban pavements and when on a recent evening he was recognized in a low public house in deptford he was heard to say with a sigh ah oh, once i could screeve a fakement note write a petition end note or cooper a moniker note forge a signature end note with any man alive and my heart's game now but i'm old and asthmatic and got the rheumatiz so that i ain't worth a d blank n the lady lurker of this person very little is known and that little it is said makes her an object of pity her father was a dissenting minister in bedfordshire she has been twice married her first husband was a schoolmaster at hackney and nephew of a famous divine who wrote a commentary on the bible and was chaplain to george the third she afterwards married a physician in cambridgeshire a dr s who is alleged to have treated her ill and even to have attempted to poison her she has no children and since the death of her husband has passed through various grades till she is now a cadger she dresses becomingly in black and sends in her card mrs dr s to the houses whose occupants are known or supposed to be charitable she talks with them for a certain time and then draws forth a few boxes of lucifers which she says she is compelled to sell for her living these lucifers are merely excuses of course for begging still nothing is known to have ever transpired in her behaviour wholly unworthy of a distressed gentlewoman she lives in private lodgings i continue the account of these habitations and of their wretched occupants from the pen of the same gentleman whose vicissitudes partly self-procured led him to several years acquaintance with the subject padding kens lodging-houses in the country are certainly preferable abodes to those of st giles's westminster or whitechapel but in country as in town their condition is extremely filthy and disgusting many of them are scarcely ever washed and as to sweeping once a week is miraculous in most cases they swarm with vermin and except where their position is very airy the ventilation is imperfect and frequent sickness the necessary result it is a matter of surprise that the nobility clergy and gentry of the realm should permit the existence of such horrid dwellings i think continues my informant 
that the majority of these poor wretches are without even the idea of respectability or home comforts many of them must be ranked among the worst of our population some who could live elsewhere prefer these wretched abodes because they answer various evil purposes with beggars patterers hawkers tramps and vendors of their own manufacture are mingled thieves women of easy virtue and men of no virtue at all a few and by far the smallest portion are persons who once filled posts of credit and affluence but whom bankruptcy want of employment or sickness has driven to these dismal retreats the vast majority of london vagrants take their summer vacation in the country and the dodges of both are interchanged and every new move circulates in almost no time i will endeavour to sketch a few of the most renowned performers on this theatre of action by far the most illustrious is nicholas a blank a name known to the whole cadging fraternity as a real descendant from bamfield moor carew and the prince of lurkers and patterers for thirty years past this man owes much of his success to his confessedly imposing appearance and many of his escapes to the known respectability of his connections his father yet alive is a retired captain in the royal navy a gentleman of good private property and one of her majesty's justices of peace for the county of devon the southern extremity of which was the birthplace of nicholas but little is known of his early days he went to school at tavistock where he received a good education and began life by cheating his schoolfellows the foolish fondness of an indulgent mother and some want of firmness in paternal discipline accelerated the growth of every weed of infamy in nicholas and baffled every experiment by sea and land to set him up in life scarcely was he out of his teens when he honoured the sister country with his visits and his depredations about the centre of sackville street dublin there lived a wealthy silversmith of the name of wise into his shop accompanied by one of his pals in livery went nicholas whose gentlemanly exterior as i have already hinted would disarm suspicion in a stranger good morning sir is your name wise yes sir well that is my name indeed of the english family i suppose yes sir east kent oh indeed related to the ladies of leeds castle i presume i have the honour to be their brother james is your name james or john neither sir it is jacob oh indeed a very ancient name well i have occasion to give a party at the corn exchange tavern and i want a little plate on hire can you supply me a very polite affirmative settled this part of the business plate to the amount of a hundred and fifty pounds was selected and arranged when nicholas discovered that his pocket-book was at home to complete the deception his right arm was in a sling will you mr wise you see my infirmity write me a few lines with the greatest pleasure was the silversmith's reply well let me see my dear do not be surprised at this i want a hundred and fifty pounds or all the money you can send per bearer i will explain at dinner-time j wise now john take this to your mistress and be quick as john was not very hasty in his return nicholas went to look for him leaving a strict injunction that the plate should be sent to the corn exchange tavern as soon as the deposit was received this happened at eleven in the forenoon the clock struck five and no return of either the master or the man the jeweller left a message with his apprentice and went home to his dinner he was met at the door of his suburban villa by his better half who wondered what made him so late and wished to know the nature of the exigency which had caused him to send home for so much money the good man's perplexity was at an end when he saw his own handwriting on the note 
and every means within the range of constabulary vigilance was taken to capture the offender, but Nicholas and his servant got clear off. This man's ingenuity was then taxed as to the next move, so he thought it expedient to tax somebody else. He went with his pal to a miscellaneous repository where they bought a couple of old ledgers, useful only as waste paper, a bag to hold money, two ink bottles, and so on. Thus equipped, they waited on the farms of the district and exhibited a fakement, setting forth parliamentary authority for imposing a tax upon the geese. They succeeded to admiration, and weeks elapsed before the hoax was discovered. The coolness of thus assuming legislatorial functions, and being at the same time the executive power, has rarely been equalled. There is an old proverb that it is an ill wind that blows nobody good. The gallant captain was domiciled at a lodging-house in Gainsborough, Lincolnshire, where he found all the lodgers complaining of the badness of the times. Most of them were makers of nets. He sallied forth to all the general shops, and left his fictitious captain card at each, with an order for an unusual number of nets. This dodge gave a week's work to at least twenty poor people. But whether the shopkeepers were caught in a net, or the articles were paid for and removed by the captain, or whether it was a piece of pastime on his part, I did not stay long enough to ascertain. Nicholas A. is now in his sixty-second year, a perfect hypochondriac. On his own authority, and it is no doubt too true, he has been lurking on every conceivable system, from forging a bill of exchange down to maundering on the fly, for the greater part of his life and excepting the hundred and thirteen times he has been in provincial jails, society has endured the scourge of his deceptions for a quarter of a century at least. He now lives with a young prostitute in Portsmouth, and contributes to her wretched earnings an allowance of five shillings a week, paid to him by the attorney of a distant and disgusted relative. The writer of this account was himself two whole years on the monkery before he saw a lodging-house for tramps and the first he ever saw was one well known to every patra in christendom and whose fame he says is gone out into all lands for its wayfaring inmates are very proud of its popularity it may be as well writes the informant in question before submitting the following account to state that there are other and more elaborate marks the hieroglyphics of tramping than those already given i will accordingly explain them two hawkers pals go together but separate when they enter a village, one taking each side of the road and selling different things, and so as to inform each other as to the character of the people at whose houses they call, they chalk certain marks on their doorposts. Reader's note, symbol, like a question mark on its side, with the loop facing downwards at the left, and with no dot at the base to the right, end reader's note, means, go on, I have called here, don't you call, it's no go. Reader's note, same symbol, with a short vertical line across the horizontal part of the question mark, end reader's note, means stop, you may call here. They want, for instance, what you sell, though not what I sell. Or else they had no change when I was there, but may have it now. Or, if they don't buy, at least they'll treat you civilly. Reader's note, symbol, like a letter C, with its opening to the left, and a horizontal line from its right-hand side, end reader's note, on a corner house or a signpost means I went this way or go on in this direction. Reader's note. The same symbol with a short vertical line across its horizontal part. End reader's note. 
on a corner house or signpost means stop don't go any further in this direction readers note a circle with a dot in the center and readers note as before explained means danger like many other young men i had lived above my income and too proud to crave parental forgiveness had thrown off the bonds of authority for a life of adventure i was now homeless upon the world with a body capable of either exertion or fatigue and a heart not easily terrified by danger i endured rather than enjoyed my itinerant position i sold small articles of tunbridge ware perfumery and so on and so on and by munging note begging end note over them sometimes in latin got a better living than i expected or probably deserved i was always of temperate and rather abstemious habits but ignorant of the haunts of other wanderers whom i saw in dozens every day upon every road and every conceivable pursuit i took up my nightly quarters at a sort of third-rate public houses and supposed that my contemporaries did the same how long my ignorance might have continued if left to myself i can hardly determine an adventure at a roadside inn however removed the veil from my eyes and i became gradually and speedily awake to every move on the board it was a lovely evening in july the air was serene and the scenery romantic my own feelings were in unison with both and enhanced perhaps by the fact that i had beguiled the last two miles of my deliberate walk with a page out of my pocket companion burke on the sublime and beautiful i was now smoking my pipe and quaffing a pint of real yorkshire stingo in the keeping-room note a term which combines parlour and kitchen in one word End note. of a real yorkshire village dranfield near sheffield a young person of the other sex was my only and accidental companion she had been driven into the house by the over-officiousness of a vigilant village constable who finding that she sold lace without a license and infinitely worse refused to listen to his advances had warned her to make herself scarce at her earliest possible convenience having elicited what i did for a living she popped the startling question to me where do you hang out in sheffield i told her that i had never been in sheffield and did not hang out my little wares but used my persuasive art to induce the purchase of them the lady said well you are green i mean where do you dos this was no better it seemed something like greek delta omicron sigma note i retain the patra's own words to show the education of the class End note. but the etymology was no relief to the perplexity where do you mean to sleep she inquired i referred to my usual practice of a journey to an humble public-house my companion at once threw off all manner of disguise and said well sir you are a young man that i have taken a liking to and if you think you should like my company i will take you to a lodging where there is plenty of travellers and you will see all sorts of life i liked the girl's company and our mutual acquiescence made us companions on the road we had not got far before we met the aforesaid constable in company with an unmistakable member of the rural police they made some inquiries of me which i thought exceeded their commission i replied to them with a mutilated ode of horace when they both determined that i was a frenchman and allowed us to go on our way rejoicing the smoky though well-built town of sheffield was now near at hand the daylight was past and the shades of the evening were stretching out we were therefore enabled to journey through the thoroughfares without impertinent remarks or perhaps any observation except from a toothless old woman of john wesley's school who was 
sorry to see two such nice young people going about the country and wondered if we ever thought of eternity after a somewhat tedious ramble we arrived at water lane at the bug trap which from time immemorial has been the name of the most renowned lodging-house in that or perhaps any locality water lane is a dark narrow street crowded with human beings of the most degraded sort the chosen atmosphere of cholera and the stronghold of theft and prostitution in less than half an hour my fair companion and myself were sipping our tea and eating yorkshire cake in this same lodging-house god bless every happy couple was echoed from a rude stentorian voice while a still ruder hand bumped down upon our tea-table a red earthen dish of no small dimensions into which was poured from the mouth of a capacious bag fragments of fish flesh and fowl viands and vegetables of every sort intermingled with bits of cheese and dollops of yorkshire pudding the man to whom this heterogeneous mass belonged appeared anything but satisfied with his lot well said he i don't know what this ere monkery will come to after a bit three bob and a tanner and that there dish of scran enough to feed two families for a fortnight is all i got this blessed day since seven o'clock in the morning and now it's nine at night i ventured to say something but a remark too base for repetition put the stunners on me and i held my peace i was here surprised on conversing with my young female companion to find that she went to church said her prayers night and morning and knew many of the collects some of which she repeated beside a pleasing variety of dr watts hymns at the death of her mother her father had given up housekeeping and being too fond of a wandering life had led his only child into habits like his own as the night advanced the party at the bug trap more than doubled high flyers shallow coves turnpike sailors and swells out of luck made up an assembly of fourscore human beings more than half of whom were doomed to sleep on a makeshift in other words on a platform raised just ten inches above the floor of the garret which it nearly equalled in dimensions here were to be huddled together with very little covering old men and women young men and children with no regard to age sex or propensities the mot of the ken note nickname for matron of the establishment end note had discovered that i was a more bettermost sort of person and hinted that if i would come down with tuppence more threepence was the regular nightly charge i and the young gal as i was with might have a little crib to ourselves in a little room along with another woman what was married and had a kid and whose husband had got a month for griddling in the main drag note singing in the high street end note and being cheekish note saucy end note to the beadle next morning i bade adieu to the bug-trap and i hope for ever the same informant further stated that he was some time upon tramp before he even knew of the existence of a common lodging-house after i'd matriculated at sheffield he says i continued some time going to public-houses to sleep until my apparel having got shabby and my acquaintance with misfortune more general i submitted to be the associate of persons whom i never spoke to out of doors and whose even slight acquaintance i have long renounced my first introduction to a london padding ken was in whitechapel the place was then called cattenwheel alley note now commercial street end note on the spot where st jude's church now stands was a double lodging-house kept by a man named shirley one side of it was for single men and women the other married couples as these couples made frequent exchanges 
it is scarcely probable that mr shirley ever asked to see their marriage lines these changes were indeed as common as they were disgusting i knew two brothers birmingham nailers who each brought a young woman out of service from the country after a while each became dissatisfied with his partner the mistress of the house an old procuress from portsmouth proposed that they should change their wives they did so to the amusement of nine other couples sleeping on the same floor and some of whom followed the example and more than once during the night when cat and wheel alley was pulled down the crew removed to george yard the proprietor died and his wife sold the concern to a wooden-legged welshman named hughes commonly called taff i was there some time taff was a notorious receiver of stolen goods i knew two little boys who brought home six pairs of new wellington boots which this miscreant bought at one shilling per pair and when they had no luck he would take the strap off his wooden leg and beat them through the nakedness of their rags he boarded and lodged about a dozen chelsea and greenwich pensioners these he used to follow and watch closely till they got paid then after they'd settled with him he would make them drunk and rob them of the few shillings they had left one of these dens of infamy may be taken as a specimen of the whole class they've generally a spacious though often ill-ventilated kitchen the dirty dilapidated walls of which are hung with prints while a shelf or two are generally though barely furnished with crockery and kitchen utensils in some places knives and forks are not provided unless a penny is left with the deputy or manager till they are returned a brush of any kind is a stranger and a looking-glass would be a miracle the average number of nightly lodgers is in winter seventy and in summer when many visit the provinces from forty to forty-five the general charge is if two sleep together threepence per night or fourpence for a single bed in either case it is by no means unusual to find eighteen or twenty in one small room the heat and horrid smell from which are insufferable and where there are young children the staircases are the lodgment of every kind of filth and abomination in some houses there are rooms for families where on a rickety machine which they dignify by the name of a bedstead may be found the man his wife and a son or daughter perhaps eighteen years of age while the younger children aged from seven to fourteen sleep on the floor if they have linen they take it off to escape vermin and rise naked one by one or sometimes brother and sister together this is no ideal picture the subject is too capable of being authenticated to need that meaningless or dishonest assistance called allowable exaggeration the amiable and deservedly popular minister of a district church built among lodging-houses has stated that he has found twenty-nine human beings in one apartment and that having with difficulty knelt down between two beds to pray with a dying woman his legs became so jammed that he could hardly get up again End of section 41